Tantra Illuminated with Dr. Christopher Wallace is a journey through the depths of the human experience. As viewed through the lens of the tradition called Non-Dual Shaiva Tantra. This multi-format podcast delves into the fascinating world of classical Tantra and its intersections with philosophy, neuroscience, psychology, human development, and the broader world of spirituality. This episode is aimed at people who stumble upon the podcast while searching for the word Tantra among the thousands of podcasts that exist. Because almost all of the podcasts out there that use the word Tantra are in fact talking about what is more accurately called Neo-Tantra or Western Sexual Tantra. And this podcast is about Classical Tantra. And a lot of people imagine, especially people who teach Neo-Tantra, that there's quite a bit more overlap between these two categories than actually exists. It's possible to conceptually map some overlap between these two very different cultural and spiritual phenomena. But, in fact, the differences between the two are deep, thoroughgoing, and fundamental. If you took someone who has attended many Neo-Tantra workshops and read Neo-Tantra books none of which call themselves Neo-Tantra, by the way, and you teleported them back in time to an actual classical tantric context ceremony or a teaching session, they would probably be shocked by how truly different these two things are. Unless, of course, they have attended an authentic tantric ceremony in India, which is rare because such ceremonies are indeed very rare. Modern India has almost zero authentic tantric practices and teachings and ceremonies that are available to the public. Almost all the authentic tantric teaching in India is happening in very private contexts. So, the point of this episode is to explain exactly what classical or original Tantra really is, and also I provide a fairly precise and deeply thought-out definition of one main form of classical Tantra, that is to say, non-dual Shaiva Tantra, which is the area of my specialization. Many people who have been exposed to Neo-Tantra, or modern Western sexual Tantra, find that they do deeply resonate with many of the teachings of classical Tantra. But when they bring assumptions from their Neo-Tantra background to 
the study and practice of classical Tantra, it can confuse them and uh, undermine that practice in ways that they are often unaware of. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying Neo-Tantra is anything bad. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I think it's perfectly good for what it hopes to achieve. Uh, it helps people become more authentically intimate with their partners, oftentimes. And it helps people experience sexuality in a new, more sacred context, and that's a great thing. Though, of course, it would be remiss of me not to mention that some neo-tantra communities are plagued by sexual misconduct uh, of various kinds or cult dynamics, but certainly not all of them. So, neo-tantra is serving a very important need in modern Western society, and I would never say otherwise. But it is important to understand that the overlap with classical tantra is, in fact, extremely slight. I once perused a book sold on Amazon as a tantric sex book, which actually claimed to be getting its teachings and practices from a classical tantra. And as I went through the book, I found that not a single one of those practices there could actually be found in a classical tantric text. So this is just uh, emblematic of some of the confusion, misunderstanding, and even falsehoods that get propagated. However, increasingly, there are many neo-tantra teachers who do understand and respect the difference between these two fields. So anyway, before my intro to the episode gets longer than the episode itself, I just invite you to listen to this particular episode closely, even if you already have some experience with the topic. I quote from my book, Tantra Illuminated, at the beginning of the episode, uh, but then I do go on to say some things that are not found in my book as well, if you're someone who's already read that. So without further ado, I bring you the episode I call What is Tantra Really? Setting the Record Straight. Tantra is now a buzzword in the modern Western world. We see it on the covers of popular magazines and books, usually linked suggestively with the notion of superlative sexual experience. Though almost everyone has heard this word, almost no one, including many people claiming to teach something called Tantra, knows much about the original teachings of the Indian spiritual tradition that Sanskrit scholars refer to as Tantra. What these academics study under the name Tantra and likewise what Indian Tantric practitioners are doing in their practice, bears little to no resemblance to the sexuality and intimacy practices taught under the same name on the workshop circuit of Western alternative spirituality. It would take me a long time to explain why that gap is so wide, 
It's a deeply complex issue of cultural mediation and strange misunderstandings spread over 100-plus years. However, my book, Tantra Illuminated, presents a comprehensive overview of the original Indian spiritual tradition that was articulated in Sanskrit scriptures called Tantras, which is where the name came from. Why would this be of interest to modern Westerners? There is one outstanding reason, at least. Tens of millions of Westerners are today practicing something they call yoga, a practice which, though much altered in form and context, can be traced back to the Hatha Yoga tradition of late medieval India, which itself can be traced back to the classical Tantric tradition. Yoga is a living tradition profoundly influenced by classical Tantra, yet has forgotten much of its own history. There is a new wave of investigative work by scholars who are also practitioners, such as myself, whose goals are to rediscover and reintegrate some of what has been forgotten, clarify the roots of many ideas and practices that are floating around, thereby grounding them and enhancing their richness, and chart clearly the vast and varied landscape of Indian spiritual thought with a view to what it can contribute to our lives today. For it is certainly the case that most 20th century teaching and writing on this subject was either exciting but incoherent and ungrounded, the practitioner context, or systematic but dry, boring, and insipid, the academic context. In the 21st century, we are finally rectifying that, and no Indian tradition has been more misunderstood relative to its deep influence on global spirituality than Tantra. Now, you may wonder what the phrase classical Tantra refers to. It identifies the peak period of the Tantric spiritual movement, which was from about the year 800 to 1100 in our calendar. And the phrase distinguishes our subject matter from syncretistic late Hindu Tantra and Hatha Yoga traditions, which flourished from 1100 to 1800, and also distinguishes it from modern Neo-Tantra, which was invented around the year 1900 by the American Pierre Bernard. The classical tantra that I treat in my book is associated with a specific religious tradition, the religion of Shiva and Shakti, commonly known as Shaivism, which is the religion that originated the tantric movement in the first place, starting around the year 500. Shaivism was once practiced all over what is now India, Nepal, Pakistan, Bengal, Southeast Asia, and Indonesia, and was the dominant religion of the Indian subcontinent in the medieval period. Tantra began as a spiritual movement within Shaivism, then propagated into all the other religions existing in the subcontinent at that time, including Buddhism. So many of the practices of Buddhist Tantra that are known to Westerners today, in their Tibetan forms, 
were directly adopted from classical Shaiva Tantra. Furthermore, many of the higher spiritual teachings of Buddhist Tantra, such as those of Dzogchen and Mahamudra, are virtually indistinguishable from some of the non-dual tantric Shaiva teachings. Shaiva being the adjective related to Shaivism. From a recent cutting-edge scholarly publication on the subject, we find this important statement opening the work. Quote, Tantric scriptures form the basis of almost all the various theistic schools of theology and ritual in post-Vedic India, as well as of a major strand of Buddhism, Vajrayana. Among these schools, those centered on the Hindu deities Shiva and Vishnu spread well beyond the Indian subcontinent to the whole of Southeast Asia, while Buddhist Tantrism quickly became Pan-Asian, propagating into China and Japan especially. Unquote. And in another seminal work, Shaivism and the Tantric Traditions by Alexis Sanderson, we find this orienting statement. Quote, the term Shaivism here refers to a number of distinct but historically related systems comprising theology, ritual, observance, and yoga, which have been propagated in India as the teachings of the Hindu deity Shiva. A Shaiva is one who practices such a system. The scriptural revelations of the Shaiva mainstream are called tantras, and those that act in accordance with their prescriptions are consequently termed tantrikas. The term tantra means simply a system of ritual or essential instruction. Unquote. And I would add a system documented in a Sanskrit scripture, likewise called a tantra. There are well over a hundred tantras. Each major tantric lineage is associated with at least one specific tantra, and often three or four. We use the general term tantra, with a capital T, to refer to the tradition that is documented in the entire corpus of tantras. There is an argument to be made that Shaiva Tantra constitutes both the original and most undiluted form of classical Tantra, though my Buddhist colleagues may beg to differ. And Shaiva Tantra is not just a relic of the past. Its teachings survived all the way down to the present, though it's true that they only barely survived. To be more precise, different elements of the tradition of Shaiva Tantra survived in different regions. The non-dual philosophy of classical Tantra survived in Kashmir, at least until 1992, by which time it had become part of our global human heritage. Many of the practices of Tantric Yoga survived in different parts of India, such as Rajasthan, until the early modern colonial period, while in the East, such as Assam and Bengal, some of the transgressive and sexual practices of classical Tantra survived down to the early 20th century, but without the sophisticated philosophy of awareness cultivation that once went along with them. 
Finally, in the far south, Kerala and Tamil Nadu, many of the beautiful tantric ritual forms survived, remnants of which are still seen today. But in none of these areas can we find the ritual forms, the yogic practices, and the spiritual philosophy all together as it was 1,000 years ago. Each surviving lineage lost substantial parts of the tradition along the way, becoming in many cases highly attenuated, such that no tantric lineage of the 20th or 21st century preserves all the pieces of the puzzle. What I am interested in is something like a tantric revival, specifically in the sense of putting the puzzle back together again, restoring the original integrity of the classical tantric tradition. Now I'm ready to offer you my exact definition of non-dual Shaiva Tantra, which is the area of my specialization. This phrase refers to that form of Shaiva Tantra whose spiritual teachings are non-dualistic, that is to say, whose teachings emphasize the fundamental oneness or identity of God or goddess and the true self of all sentient beings. So now the definition. Non-dual Shaiva Tantra is a spiritual tradition originating in India that is primarily characterized by three features. One, emphasis on direct experience of a divine reality that has transcendent and imminent aspects, called Shiva and Shakti, respectively, with Shiva primarily understood as the uncontracted, open and spacious awareness that is the ground of being and Shakti primarily understood as the flowing patterns of energy that make up the entire manifest universe. 2. Formal or informal initiation into a student-teacher relationship and an egalitarian kula, or spiritual community. 3. Spiritual practice aimed at both increased happiness and, eventually, a state of unconditioned liberation, in every possible sense of that word. Practice that unfolded in four primary modes. Contemplation of view teachings, a.k.a. spiritual philosophy, meditative ritual performance, yogic techniques of the body and subtle body, and the aesthetic cultivation of the senses, that is to say, learning to experience exquisite beauty in what is sensually perceived in everyday life. So that's a fairly precise definition and description of non-dual Shaiva Tantra, but the latter shares much in common with other tantric traditions. The form of classical tantra most visible today is, of course, Tibetan Buddhism, but because Tibetan Buddhism is the only form of original Tantra that most Westerners have come across, they don't realize that many of its most salient features, such as uniquely Tantric mantras, mandalas, mudras, initiation rituals, deity yoga, guru yoga, internalized worship, and more, 
are not actually particular to Tibetan Buddhism, but always exemplified the pan-Indian tantric movement which infused itself into all the Indic religions that were around at that time. Shaivism, Buddhism, Vaishnavism, Jainism, and so on. So, Tantra was a spiritual movement that influenced the development of most Asian religions. But what is the essence of Tantra, you might ask? How do I know it when I see it? Well, scholars have debated that question for many years and settled on a list of features rather than a single essence. However, I want to single out one of these features for special mention, since it is this feature that makes non-dual tantra different from all other yogic paths. It is fundamentally world-embracing rather than world-denying. As a non-renunciatory path, it is focused on experiencing the transcendent in the very fabric of everyday life. It seeks harmonious and healthy acceptance of all the features of human life that other yogic paths renounce. In other words, it is a path that is radically life-affirming rather than life-negating. All other forms of yoga are transcendentalist and renunciatory in character, except where they are influenced by Tantra itself. Transcendentalist means holding the view that the divine is wholly beyond what we can contact with our senses, and that therefore one must achieve higher states of consciousness to unite with divine essence, thereby negating and leaving behind some aspects of our messy humanity. By contrast, non-dual tantra teaches that though the divine is more than meets the eye, it is also everything the eye can meet or the ear can hear, etc. Therefore, we don't seek allegedly higher states of consciousness, but a more complete awareness of the totality of being here and now. A deeper sense of the miracle of life revealed in every form, feeling, and creature. And, the tantric argument goes, that deeper sense is revealed through specific practices of awareness, cultivation, and embodiment, not merely through contemplation or a change of your beliefs. You cannot think your way to enlightenment. Uniquely empowering transformative practices are necessary, and such are provided in abundance by the classical tantric tradition. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Remember, you can always find out more about the tradition of non-dual Shaiva Tantra at tantrailluminated.org, where, if you wish, you can become a subscriber to our online learning portal, and you'll receive access to a vast number of recordings, including a comprehensive curriculum in Tantric philosophy, Tantric yoga, guided meditation, and much, much more. Music for the podcast, composed and recorded by Anne Leader. Find her at anneleader.com. Podcast produced by Grazia Tribulato. New episodes drop every week. And may all beings benefit. <laughs>